This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, also known as the Positive Politics Podcast right now. <laughs> Episode 82. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now your host, Kristen Trumpy. After the election of Donald Trump, Rosie from Illinois reached out to me and she said, hey, I'm struggling and so are many others. I'm trying to make sense of all my emotions and everything that I'm thinking and these conflicting feelings and me and many people could really use some help with that. So Rosie and I jumped on Skype and we had this deep dive coaching-like conversation where we explored some of these issues. And before we start, I want to acknowledge how brave Rosie has been because what she does in this conversation is one of the hardest things, and that's actually to look deep inside herself, to examine her beliefs. And the easiest thing will be to judge her. But that's also the least constructive thing. Instead, I want to invite you to use some of the breaks um, that we intentionally left in there to go inside yourself and ask yourself what this election and this political situation has uncovered in you. And that can be done whether you support a Trump or not. So enjoy. All right, so I'm talking to Rosie from Illinois, and we're discussing the outcome of the election, not necessarily the politics and all of that, but more like how how do we cope with a new reality that we didn't want to be part of, frankly. Welcome, Rosie. Thank you. Um, I'm really glad to be here. I'm really excited. Yeah, so let's go. All right, so so how are you feeling right now? Um, well, I think, well, I'm feeling uh, really sad. It feels like a my entire view of my culture and sort of how I walk through the world feels like it's been turned upside down and <clears throat> everything sort of feels just really weird and surreal. Um, and it's, it's mostly just really sad. The new reality of this, uh, person who has said all these things, um, and done all these crazy things has been endorsed by so many people in my culture. And it feels really weird to go to work, um, and to walk around and to see people and interact with people and just think like, wow, I never really realized that you, that these people that I care about and interact with on a daily basis could have such, um, you know, could endorse such a um, negative, hateful message, you know? And so it's just very, um, I guess it's really eye-opening in like the saddest way. Okay. Um, Were you, yeah, I I didn't, I don't want to give away your age or anything, but were you, Kind of, were you old enough to follow what happened between Gore and Bush Jr.? Um, yeah, I, at the time I was pretty young. I'm 
27 years old. So um, at the time I was vaguely aware and I've, you know, since learned about it a little bit more. Um, I know like the, are you referring to like how the, the, like Hillary Clinton won the popular vote and that this, the similar thing happened in that situation or? Yeah, kind of. I know, yeah. So how do you feel about, you say it's eye-opening in the, in the saddest kind of way that, is, is this something that you also feel about maybe family members or is this really about the outside world? Like, how, is your family unified on this front or not so much? Um, I think like my family's mostly unified in that um, none of none of my close family members have endorsed Donald Trump or any that uh, type of mentality. But we're not all we, we didn't all vote for Hillary Clinton or whatever. Um, I think what my the eye opening in the saddest way, I mean, I think I always um, I knew that people had racist or, you know, they, they had racist thoughts or sexist thoughts. And I know I, I knew that that existed. I don't know. I think I felt like the people around me in my social circles or at work and stuff had accepted people more at this point and cared more about um, the well-being of others to, um, to, to reject that, that type of rhetoric, you know, I guess I didn't think that. So I think a lot of these people don't actually feel hatred and towards women or towards minorities or towards immigrants. Like, I don't think that the, the majority of them actually feel that way. It's just jarring. And it just, you know, a friend of mine posted on Facebook right when we heard the results anyone but a woman, you know, and it just really felt like, yeah, like they just couldn't stomach the idea of voting for a woman. It just seems so crazy. Like, why would, why would we throw so much progress away, you know, uh, just for, for better jobs? I mean, for the economy, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I just don't, I just can't believe that people feel that way. And it's just really sad, you know? Right. So is there any circumstance under which you would, let's say, for economic reasons, right? So so let's say people are really experiencing economic hardship. Um, would you understand why in, in such a circumstance someone could, you know, have different priorities? Or do you still feel like, no, this... Uh, you know, the progress we've made with minorities and women are just too important. Even if you, even if you really struggle economically, you should hold on to, to that. What do you think? I don't know. I got to think about that for a second. I, I work for people who are in poverty, you know, and a lot of times I just think that when I work with the people that I work with who are in such poverty, the president is so far removed from um, their reality at all. And uh, I think, you know, on a daily basis, the president, I mean, to, to be, you know, going from where they have to go, like to, 
to and from work, um, going to the grocery store, whatever, thinking about the president is almost laughable to that, to those, to them. You know what I mean? So people who are, um, it really, really poor and in a poor economic situation, I think it's, it's almost a joke to think that they care about who the president is, you know? And so I think that, um, maybe they feel like the people that have been, you know, put forth as our presidential candidates are just, are just these same old rich people who don't really matter. I don't, do you know what I'm saying? I'm hearing a little bit of conflicting information because okay. if you if you don't which is fine because we're um we're not logical beings. I mean, I just want to point that out. This has nothing to do with you. Um we are not inherently logically organized and especially not in our feelings universe. So, I'm just saying I'm detecting um a little bit of a mismatch because to me there were 130 million people who didn't vote. So clearly, the 120 million who did cares. Even if, if I, I understand that, like, I agree in terms of, like, when any person goes grocery shopping, I, I personally don't see why your income level would, would change that, but you can maybe explain that to me. But, like, for me, if any person goes grocery shopping, you're probably not thinking about the president unless something was on the radio in the car, Right. Yeah. Um, but on some level, they clearly must care. Now, what I think I'm hearing, but, but I'm not entirely sure, is that um, I got the sense that the whole issue that it's a woman was really important to you. Yeah. So, um, is, is, so if that's the case, maybe what, what you're kind of, you know, maybe too polite to say is like, oh, man, <laughs> you know, it's it's more important to me because I want to see a woman than it is to you. Why didn't you? Is, does that make any sense or no? Yeah. It wasn't necessarily for me about having a woman as president. You know, it was just it just seems like insane, insane that anyone would trust someone who is just so fly off the cuff, you know, and just, just out there and crazy, you know? And so it wasn't really important. It wasn't, it really wasn't about me wanting a woman. I was initially going to vote for Bernie Sanders and, you know, so it, it really wasn't about that for me. But then once it, it came to that, um, I just, I couldn't help but think that like people would rather, you know, I just, I just thought it, that's, that must be what they're thinking, you know, like, oh my gosh, how could we like, uh, really a woman, you know, I, I don't know. You said that you work with a few people, um, who you think, or, you know, voted for Trump. Did you, so it sounded like you asked them or did you ask them? No. So before the election, um, one of my coworkers like met, just in conversation mentioned something about making America great again. And I just kind of like thought, Oh my God, really? You know, it just seemed just, I, I thought it was just weird. And, but she clearly was letting me know who she was voting for. And I didn't say anything because I'm at work and I didn't want to have a political discussion at work, which maybe I should have, you know? Um, 
which I know is probably is something I need to do going forward is not be so afraid to have those kind of conversations. But, um, yeah, I knew that I knew that several people, and then I saw in one of my coworkers yards, I saw a sign that she had, you know, she had a Trump sign in her yard and it, it was just like, I kind of just looked at them and thought like, Oh wow. I, I was just like, I really thought they were just kind of stupid. Okay. You know, I know that's terrible. <laughs> I was just like, well, they're, they're just dumb, you know? And it's like, okay. And I, it sh- I shouldn't be that way. I, I need, I looking back now, I think, you know, like to brush it off like that and to be so arrogant in a way, you know, is just, um, is exactly how crazy stuff like this happens. Like not treating those people as, you know, Americans who have the capability of voting this guy into office. I just treated them, you know, in my mind, I kind of treated them as just like whatever, you know, they're just not as smart as me or something, you know? Right. So how does it feel to to come to a realization like that? Um it it's like I'm trying to think like I don't know how I would bring that topic up to I or how I would engage in conversation like that um because I feel like I came from a family and a culture that valued certain things and, and, and they came from a very, you know, starkly different family and culture that valued very different things too. Um, you know, the opposite end. And I just, I would rather just not talk about it, you know, because it's uncomfortable and it's scary and I'm afraid that they'll, um, I, I'm afraid of what will happen if I, if I talk about it, but I know that I need to now, you know? That's actually, um, I mean, I don't, I, I want to be clear here that obviously you want to be you and everybody else who's thinking about having those conversations. Um, I'm, I'm happy that that's what you want to do. But obviously, we want to be careful about how we have them because right. if it's people we work with and we see every day, we want to make sure that we can have those conversations in a in a constructive way. And I that's another issue that I have. Like, I don't know how to, um, I don't know what to say. Like, in that situation where she's just standing next to me, like, talking about, you know, we just need to make America great again. And I just literally, I just think that she sounds insane. At the time I was like, I thought she was just, she was a unique individual. You know what I mean? I thought most people think what I think, you know? So I just, she said that and I'm like, oh, wow, what a weirdo. And I don't know how to, what, I don't know what to say instead of just thinking that and being silent in a work situation, especially, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. I think something that we can do is that we tend to go for conversations where we have already have some talking points ready in our head, so to speak, right? 
Um, so we mm-hmm. know what we're going to say. And if we don't, we're, we're so afraid of the silences and the awkwardness that could come out of that, that we don't engage in the conversation. But we don't know as a fact what this woman meant when she said, make America great again. And to me, um, one way that I would start a conversation is I would say, like, what does that mean to you? Paint me a picture of America that is great. Because what that does is that, you know, maybe, you know, in the in the un in the unluckiest of outcomes, I would say, um, all your suspicions are confirmed, right? So, so there is this possibility that you say to someone, "All right, so what makes America great?" And and you know, now I'm being really extreme and say like, "Well, you know, we would kick out all the people who don't belong here, and mm-hmm. um, we would make sure that the you know, like only if it's a husband and a wife that they can call themselves a family, and everything else is off the table." And um. So that's what you know, but it's very likely that, you know, that that woman or or other people, um, as a matter of fact, I don't think it's a good thing to bank all our hopes on one person, because if that woman doesn't, you know, uh, is not a good conversation partner for you, you might be discouraged to have these conversations for the rest of your life, and, and that would be shame. And if, but the best outcome and I think actually a little bit more likely is that, yes, she might mention one or two things that you don't agree with, but it might also be that she mentions things that you wouldn't object to. You know, like uh, he said, for example, he wants to create 25 million jobs. And I assume that if uh, most democratic people would not object to having 25 million more jobs. Um, right. You m- might not object to having an infrastructure where, you know, I've lived in New York and I love New York with all my heart. But the first time I got out in Grand Central Station down there, I was like, uh, it was like I looked at the ceiling. I was like, wow, this is rotting. <laughs> this could drop on my head any minute. Like That's how it felt. <laughs> and, and like if, you know, Republican or Democrat, if anybody would actually bother to to fix that that would be nice right yeah yeah i just i um so if she were to say these things and she it probably would be stuff that i would agree with maybe some that i don't um i mean i do, do you try to convince people like that? I don't know. That's probably not appropriate at work. I mean... No. What what, what we're trying to do is um, being on a fact-finding mission. Because what clearly happened is that neither the media nor most other people left whatever bubble they were in. Right. So... Um, so I'm sure that a lot of Trump supporters, not all of them, but a lot of them probably know a lot of other Trump supporters. And mm-hmm. a lot of, because of the way we tend to, you know, from, you can tell that also from the polling, right? So you can tell that a lot of times 
um, people in cities tend to uh, develop more liberal views. So that so that if you know most people you talk to either are Democrats or are expected to be Democrats. Um, mm-hmm. And I've also seen that when I was in Connecticut. Um, one of my co-workers kind of admitted after we built a really, really trusting relationship, like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm a Republican. <laughs> and and to me, I almost laughed because it was just so weird to me that you kind of have to be quiet about that. Um, but we don't know a lot about people who are not in our circle and that's not necessarily just true about politics well and where i live um i feel like i'm one of those i'm a liberal person and pretty much everyone around me is conservative um and so i i guess coming up to this election i thought because on all my friends are liberal I thought, well, I just live in this um, very small place, you know, rural place that um, isn't going to make a difference because there's all these big cities and just, you know, surrounding me, it seems like it seemed like Donald Trump was going to win, you know, but I thought, oh, it's it's just here, you know. Right. If we can stop there for a minute, like let's let's assume that that assumption would have been right. Um, one word that I hear a lot um, Democrats talking about is minorities, right? So if these rural wo- voters that you're talking about were actually a minority, why do we choose to ignore them? if we believe that other minorities should have their say. Like now it turned out they're apparently not a minority. Right. But but even if they were, why do we choose to not engage? What do you think? I think that um, probably the media and what we mostly what we see on TV doesn't reflect at all what it looks like in rural America and what the people are like and what people think. Um, and what was your question? I'm sorry. I'm already losing track. Yeah, don't, don't worry. Um, I'm saying like you said, well, I felt that although I am surrounded by Trump supporters, this is the minority, right? So, so I'm asking, well, even if it were a minority, why do we choose to ignore this particular minority if with other minorities we are very adamant that their voices need to be heard? Well, I think that people didn't realize that, um, I think that probably the Republican Party wasn't was supposed to be re- representing this portion of our country. And like, I... For some reason, you know, they they were really not, and I, I think on both sides, people were starting to get anxious about, it. they didn't feel like their party leaders are representing them as much, but really more so with the Republican Party, I feel like um, these rural voters, I think, got fed up um, and did feel ignored 
And I don't think that, obviously, I don't think that they should be ignored, but the things that they're, you know, the things that they voted for or the person that they voted for in this election just represents something or has said things, whether for whatever reason they were voting for him, he's just said things that are, that cut at like, you know, human dignity for other minorities, whether they're, you know, we, we, they should be heard. And obviously, you know, they've, I feel like they've being just being in rural, rural America. I feel like it's really completely ignored in the media. There's no representation of what it's really like on TV. Um, and so they shouldn't be ignored, but I'm, I'm just, you know, heartbroken and upset that they um, voted this way and, you know, endorsed a candidate that said such horrible things that weren't just, you know, it wasn't, they, they weren't small things. He said things that really made people make are is making people fearful for for their lives in this country and if they can still be here you know and so i don't think that they should be ignored but i'm still mad right and and you have every right to be (laughs) you know this is not about telling people not to be mad or to feel in a particular way this is about disentangling how we feel and hopefully asking some questions which can help you and the listeners to to kind of think about things maybe in a little bit of different way that doesn't solve all of these issues one coaching call doesn't solve all of these questions but what it can do is that it can introduce us to a different way of of trying to think about things and to think things true and if you and if we talk about that and we just say like um, all right, so so what can we do going forward, right? So one thing is definitely that we feel the need to reaffirm values that are important to us. So that's what you said. You, you said the word heartbroken um, about values that you feel have been threatened. And here I think one important question is, all right, so what what are we afraid of? Are we afraid of something that has already happened or are we afraid of something that we think is going to happen? I think both. Um, Because I, you know, I, what I'm afraid of is people feeling free now to, because now, you know, is it now appropriate to say the things that Donald Trump has said? Is it now, is that now okay? You know, I just worry, I haven't personally experienced any of it in the last several days since he won, but what I really fear, and I guess I fear what's going to happen, but I also, I, I, I fear what it means. You know, I fear what electing him means after what he said. And, uh, I feel like it's going to give people license to be abusive and make people who have every right to be here and have every right to be treated with respect 
and they'll, I, I fear that these people will feel like it's okay to be abusive and, you know, whether they get away with it or not, you know, we still have laws. So if they, if people are abusive and do hurt people, they, you know, may get arrested or whatever. But I, what fear, what I, what I'm scared of the most is the small little things that people think that they might be able to get away with now, you know, like, um, just being a girl, you know, like I just worry about what little girls think now, you know, like, well, do people not like me? You know, like, do, am I not as, does this mean I'm not as good? Just, and that's just their perception. What if I fear that people will feel like it's okay to, you know, just bullying, you know, like it's, it's fine to do that in, in, in the workplace, out in public, you know, people can just feel like, oh, now I can just call people names because we got rid of all the politically correct language. So now I'm going to say how I really feel and I'm just being honest, you know, and that makes me scared because these people, well, I get to be honest now. I don't have to be politically correct. But, you know, and so they maybe feel like they can be abusive to people and, you know, it, and they're just saying words. And that's another thing I feel like I've seen people argue, these Trump supporters, I feel like they argue, oh my gosh, quit being a whiner. You know, don't be a, quit, you know, stop being a whiny baby or whatever. Um, and usually those people are white and they're male. And it's kind of like, how would you know uh, what it feels like? How would you know what the effects of your words are? You know, you you don't have to deal with it. So, of course, you think everyone's just making up that this is destructive, that there's something very wrong with this. You know, because you don't... they. Those, those people wouldn't ever have to really deal with it. Maybe they have to deal with it in some other ways, but on a general scale, I, I just, it makes me scared that people are going to be subject to abuse. And I don't, that's not, that's, that's moving. That's not, I don't even, it's moving backwards, but it's moving almost into a, a darker place to me All right. than we've been. Right. I don't know. The question is, for whom is it darker? Did you talk to... Do you have any girls you can talk to? Little girls that you're worried about? I don't. Um, no, I don't really have, like... I don't work with kids, and, you know, I don't have any nieces or anything. Because that... But I, like, are... saw a girl at, at the store today, and her dad... Um, had an accent, like a Middle Eastern accent. Mm -hmm. And it just, like, she was, like, probably 10 or something. And I just, like, worried for her, you know? Because I, I want her to feel like she's she's fine, and you know? I think um, one of the things is that I, I, I wish you could turn back time and talk to that girl. And I think it's important to kind of emphasize that not everybody has the same experience. So even if, you know, you, you have a, an Eastern accent or whatever, 
Um, you know, one right. Muslim girl might feel very differently from another. But having said that, having said that, um, one thing is that it seems to me that from the conversations I have had with Muslims, for example, that um, they have actually been struggling for years. Yeah. They've been harassed at the airport for years. And yeah. um, we know, uh, you know, since Ferguson, that that's true for African Americans as well. So I wonder um, whether we are actually sad about the fact that there's no denying it anymore. Yeah. And that before we, we, we you know, not, no malicious intent. This is not about malicious intent, but that because I'm from from the people that I've talked to, they were very aware of these things for quite a while. And I think, yeah, I think it's probably in a weird way, like now, you know, we're not lying about it. We're not just covering it up. We're not just, you know, it's out there and we're talking about it. And it's just, it's, but also, so that's good. I think that's good that now, you know, people are acknowledging that that stuff has been happening to people for a long time. And it's not that they weren't making it up, you know, um, but it also is just the fact that we've moved towards accepting that type of behavior. I feel like electing Donald Trump is a move towards saying, yes, it's out there and get over it because that's the way it is. You know, I feel like that's the message I'm getting is that, um, yeah, now we all know that Muslims are treated this way and, uh, African-Americans are treated that way and that we just, so maybe it is all out there, but, you know, now, now we just have to be comfortable with it so that we can, so that we can acknowledge that, you know, maybe these rural American people can have their, you know, 1950s lifestyle now. And we all just, I, I don't know. It just, I don't like that, I don't like that we had to get to this point of actually talking about it by electing Donald Trump, you know. How do you wish, like, if we, can we, can we agree that it's kind of hard to change something we're not aware of, right? Can we, can we agree on that? Yes. All right. So, so how do you wish, let's say we, we, we had a little wish machine here. And um, we knew that we wanted to make a positive change about this. Um, how do you, how do you wish this could have played out in a way that would make people sit up and listen and take action, but still that it could have been done differently? What do you wish would have happened? I feel like um, there have been people trying to do that, and you know, Black Lives Matter and. I feel like a movement like that, they're trying to make people understand and they 
weren't taken totally seriously or they weren't, you know, it just, it affected that one group. So maybe it wasn't big enough or something. I don't know. I just wish that it could have happened. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how, how else it could have happened. I wish it was just something peaceful, (laughs) you know, in a perfect world. It just, we all realized it and came together, you know, I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. That would be nice if we would all, yeah, just realize things. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I'm. I. I am with you. Like, um, it. It does sadden me that that some things have to become very extreme before we act on them. Yeah. But if you think about it, um, if you get like direct mail, right? So you get um, I don't know, some catalog or something. If you get a letter, are you forced to accept every message that you get? No. What message would you like to send out? Um, what do you mean? Well, you're saying you feel like you get, you're getting the message that, you know, minorities are treated that way, women are treated that way, get over it and deal with it. So if you're not happy with that message... What message would he be happy about? I guess that, you know, um, these economic issues can be solved, but, and we can do that in an, in another way, you know, I just don't think that we have to tear other people down because we think that they're a threat to us thriving, you know, that there's a better way that we can like work together. But I just, I don't, that's a message I'd like to send out, but I feel like it's, it's a tired message, you know, like people have heard it and they just don't want to accept it. Well, that, I don't know. That was a, I wish I had a better message. Kristen. <laughs> I'm you know, trying to think I should have thought of one before. No, you, you shouldn't have, because how could you possibly know what questions I would ask you? Right. For me, it's yeah. actually a good sign if somebody doesn't have an immediate answer, because it means that I've asked a question that they haven't, you know, that hasn't been mentioned and talked about 500 times because one of the big problems that I see is just that we kind of just, you know, go over and over and over and over the same issue from the same angle all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's what clearly doesn't bring us any forward. So what I would like you to think about and what I'd like the listener to think about is, well, what kind of messages do we want to send out? And you mentioned a couple of things, right? So you mentioned before that rural America is not represented, is ignored. Mm-hmm. Well, how do people react when they're ignored? And can we, can we fault them for that? Yes, we wish it were different, but can we? So what kind of message would you like to, what peaceful message would you like to send out? To Trump supporters, what peaceful message do you want to send out to minorities? And also, maybe more important than a message, 
is that we ask questions, right? We talked about that about yeah. 15 minutes ago, where we said, well, we don't know exactly what that Muslim girl was feeling now, if, if anything has changed, or if she's like, look, uh, some people have blown up so many things, and I've been blamed for it every single time. Right. That, to me, this really doesn't matter anymore. We don't know that. Um, we don't know if um, how many people who filled out that ballot were like, cool, finally I can get out my Confederate flag and, you know, be me. <laughs> like, like that me that we think they are. And another question is, well, we have been talking about us and them for the whole conversation, but yeah, what... You know, it's a cliche, right? It's a cliche, but then again, why did your president say that first and foremost, you're Americans? What do Americans share in common? Yeah. There is a total, you know, us and them aspect to it like that's that's the mindset you know but I feel like in communities people it's not all you know in a small rural town not everybody's white you know and not everybody you know is completely segregated and you know people have friends that are have different skin color and are gay or, you know, and I just, and that's, what's kind of crazy is, is, uh, that I know that these, that it has to be that a lot of these people who voted for Trump have friends who are Muslim and have family members who are not the same skin color as them or are gay. And it's just like, uh, you know, do they not think of those people? And I, I'm sorry. I just, I think that it's, it's, it, that's what's really confusing is that it's not, we're not all so divided that these communities, these small rural communities consist of diversity too. Yeah, that's, you know? a, that's a question that you and I don't don't know, right? We don't know the answer. And um, I think if we want to find out, if we truly want to find out, we have to find a way that we can ask them in a way that doesn't feel like a threat or an attack. To say, like, what what goes through your mind when you hear them say something about, when you hear him say something about that, about Muslims, for example, when you have this buddy who's Muslim. May I ask yeah, you I, may I ask you how that makes you feel or what kind of thought process you have? Well, um I don't have I I don't know that I know I mean, I don't have any close friends that are Muslim. I'm trying to think of <laughs> Um, like, so someone says something about 
Okay. And it happens frequently. Um, like, I, I hear a lot of um, negative things about African Americans in, you know, I, I'll hear someone say something um, just completely racist, and it's gross, you know, and I just, when they'll say it about a friend of mine, and um Sorry, did you say like, about a friend of yours, or it's a friend of yours who's saying that? They'll say it about like a like a friend of mine. I'll I'll hear it, you know, and um, it's just I know it's not like overtly racist, but they'll say it in a way that's um, I know that that's what they mean that they're that they're just saying like a person isn't as good because this person is, Oh, of course, you know, doing something because they're black or whatever, you know? And when I hear that, it's, um, I, I honestly just think that they're ignorant. I just, I have that same thought of like, Oh my gosh, like there's, they're stupid, you know? Right. And I, and I, I just can't, I, but it's also really hurtful. I don't know. I'm really uncomfortable, like, talking about it, clearly. Like, I'm trying to come up with examples and put myself in that situation, and it makes me feel really nervous. And I feel very nervous to talk about it because I, I don't want to say the wrong thing, you know. Quite honestly, I wanna be- may, may I give you a little bit of an outsider's perspective of this? Because okay. I, I am, I, I feel like, I mean, I'm clearly not an American. I don't live in America. I've spent a lot of time in America, but I'm not an American. And um, there, the fr- all right, let me, let me back up a bit. When I'm not sure if you heard that episode. I'm sure I must have mentioned it in some episode at some point. But, but for those of you who haven't, and maybe you haven't either, um, I spent some time in Hawaii. Uh, two months uh, in 2004 and that was when that contentious bush gore thing was happening okay. and i know that after this campaign everything else feels like really peaceful but that's not actually how it felt it was very charged it was very divided and the first thing that my host family said to me um, was, you know, don't talk about religion and don't talk about politics. And uh, me being who I am, (laughs) I obviously talked about pretty much nothing else for two months because I ended up being in a classroom. And what happened was that we, we were actually doing an English teacher training together. And, and we just had a lot of fun and, and we really clicked as a class. And then, the election came up and we discovered that we're divided the same way that the country is divided. So we had three, and that's just what they were. I'm not using this as a derogative or anything. Three Bible Belt Christians, like, you know, almost as cliche mm-hmm. as can be. And three liberal Democrats, you know, even from the right cities, you know, from California and New York. And like, it was just, just like a little tiny microcosm of what was going on in the States and me being the European, obviously unquestioningly democratic, right? And that time with them 
was actually one of the biggest gifts of my life because up until then, I had very similar thoughts. I thought, how could I possibly take a person seriously who thinks that evolution is a theory and, you know, yeah. the world was created um, according to Genesis? Like, how, how could anybody take someone like that seriously? Um, but it turns out that if you kind of put that thought in a box and you just say, like, you know what, um, maybe I might you know, use you again, or, or you might be welcome back to my brain, but for now, you're not that useful. And I'll just ask a lot of questions. And that's what I did. Um, I went to church with them. I, I asked, they went to visit their homes. And we had a lot of conversations by the ocean. And obviously, they were trying to convince me, me being pretty young, wanting to convince them. But they, because we had this foundation that we actually really liked each other before we discovered our true colors, <laughs> um, yeah. we we could ask these questions in respectful ways, you know, and I'm not saying maybe they learned that before, but I was 21 at that age. So I had not, you know, I, I was very hot headed and temperamental and, and like I love debating. So, so I had not yet learned. I mean, I must have had a certain level of respect. Otherwise, they wouldn't have engaged with me right but 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 it was nowhere close to how I talk now and in the end I I just you know after spending like six weeks with daily discussions and things like literally the only differences that I can find between them so to speak and me and my friends were the kind of media they consumed and how we spent yeah. our Sundays that was literally, those were the, literally the only differences. There, there was no difference in IQ. There was no difference in ability to be kind or not kind. There, was, there were no other differences. Well, and I know that, like, I know that, you know, like, in my mind, I, I understand that, like, I see really, really, you know, intelligent people who are doing amazing things. Uh, definitely have a higher IQ than me and believe in evolution. You know what I mean? And so I understand that. But then when it comes to like a interacting with someone in my daily life, I'm just like, I, I just think even, even really intelligent people, I think, God, how could you be so stupid? You know, and it's terrible, but yeah. And so, I need to probably focus on maybe not so much on being so judgmental. <laughs> I think it would help people. at least for the moment when you, when you question them, when you talk to them, when you try to find out, when you, when we try to find out anything, it's actually helpful if we don't categorize everything right then, because think about it, think about it in uh, let's leave politics for a second, right? Let's say we're doing an architecture class, right? So you have architecture 101 you have no clue what the professor is talking about. So just imagine you'd be like, all right, I believe this, but not this part about how to build buildings. It makes no sense. You don't have the story yet, you know? Right. Right? So it makes no sense to judge at that at an early stage. And I think we, we can safely say that we clearly have no clue what's going on. 
we have we have yeah. fragments of ideas of why we think things are happening, but we clearly have a lot of questions. So, so if we learn anything, and that's what we're trying to do, we're trying to learn. We're not trying to convince anyone. We're we're, we're just trying to learn. Um, at an early stage, judgment makes no sense because we don't know what is important and what is not, what makes sense and what doesn't, and we only learn that after we've had, you know. Seven, eight, ten, twenty, thirty conversations. Then we start to see patterns. Then we start to see, oh, that's that's idiosyncratic, and oh, that seems to be something that that is a theme, right? And sometimes I think that I I just say in my mind, like, oh, that's just stupid, just moving on, because I don't I and I use that as an excuse to not. Um, engage because I think I'm afraid to go further in conversation with someone. That actually requires a lot of courage. And in a climate yeah. where in a climate where you can be sued for everything you say, yeah. it's actually quite understandable that people are freaked out about honest conversations. Mm-hmm. But maybe now we're at a stage where we kind of have to think about, well, we're uncomfortable now. And what I, wanna, I want you and other listeners to think about the discomfort that you're feeling as a growing pain. All right. Um, you're, you're uncomfortable with this growing pain. And now the question is, what is more important? To avoid the discomfort or to answer to to get quite, to 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 get a few answers and then maybe move forward and it might be that right now it seems important but in 6 months you're already used to what's going on and then we choose to go back to avoiding discomfort i like i worry about that too because i think like now a lot of people I know who maybe didn't realize how bad, you know, um, how, how really bad racism and sexism was until this result. And now they've, they've, we're all like just horrified and, you know, ex- like looking it in the face and we want to do something. And it worries me that, um, like right now we feel like doing something and we feel like advocating for people and we feel, you know, we want to do something and worry that we'll get used to, you know, we'll start to accept, um, accept this and move on in six months and not do anything. And, and that could be dangerous, you know, does your worry, not, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Does your worry change anything about that? whether that will happen or not? No. No, that's true. So if worrying doesn't change anything, what does change something about whether these things happen or not? Just what I can do myself, you know, because I can't control what other people do or what happens. Right, so so I'd like you to, let's remember for a second what you said about, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes ago where you talked about you're, you're worried about, you said, well, we have laws here, so you can't be openly super racist or anything. 
uh, or abusive. Um, but what about the tiny little things? Now, I'd like you to think about what are tiny little things that you can do to make other people feel that they're valued and that their view counts and that you care? I mean, there's probably, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, but I don't know. I'm trying to think like, what can I do? You know, I try, I can try to be gracious towards people in my work, you know, and just really, I feel like I, I've always tried to do that. I don't know what kind of things I can do to, I need to think about it and look into it. Well, um, considering that none of us like discomfort, it's actually quite a kind act if we, if we have the courage to open up one of those honest conversations. Yeah. And we, and we mindfully pay attention to asking really respectful questions and to listen without wanting to answer immediately or to convince anyone and we'll have that impulse um, if you're not used to not being very judgmental or if you're not used to talking to people who disagree with you a part of us will want to jump in and it's actually a big service to ourselves mainly to ourselves actually but also to the people around us if we learn to tame that bit in us and be like look um the convincing, all the other stuff can either come later or maybe, you know, it has, it's not useful anymore. And something that I like, while you're saying that, I was thinking it's uncomfortable sometimes to make the effort to let someone know that you care. Sometimes it's a little bit scary because you don't know how they'll react but then at the same time, it's also a little bit scary to have conversations, have honest conversations with people and ask them, what do you mean when you say these things? You know, like it's, it's, it's a little bit scary to step out and start, um, I don't know, addressing these things in with the people that you interact with. You know, it's kind of scary. Yeah, I agree with you. But here, here's another thought. Um, that's something, that's like a skill you can train, right? So, so in the beginning, it's really, really scary. And it, it kind of, you put your trust in them. Because if they start insulting you, for example, then it will take even more courage and trust next time around, right? But if they mm -hmm. don't, um, you'll think, oh, wait, maybe this was actually a surprisingly nice conversation. And you can come into... The space where you're like, hey, this went well. Maybe I'll try it again with someone else. Now, what I would like you to think about, and other listeners as well, is this idea that when we do that, when we train the courage to do something that needs to be done, despite the fact that it's uncomfortable, we're actually training to confront our inner darkness as well. And the more able we are to do that, the more able we are to do that despite the discomfort that we feel, the more readily we can grow into 
becoming the kind of people who we want to be, the more we can confront our own darkness. Because what's really interesting to me is, to me, everything that I'm seeing that's happening now in the public arena is actually something that's played out within ourselves. Because just the way that we feel uncomfortable about starting conversations with people, we feel uncomfortable about starting conversations with ourselves about things that we maybe have not forgiven ourselves for or about things that we are carrying around. Does that make any sense for you? Yeah. So you have an added incentive, so to speak. How do you feel right now? Um, I feel really excited about, you know, going forward and trying to do these things, but I'm also nervous and apprehensive or I'm nervous that, um, about still being too scared to reach out to people and to be more honest, you know, um, how, I don't want to be afraid of it. Right. So how have you confronted your fears? Like, how have you done things in the past that have scared you, but you felt the need to do them anyway? What did you tap into? I'm trying to think. Um... I think it helps to think about um, other people and how other people, like the examples of other people a lot of times, um, but I don't know if that really, in the past, I'm trying to think. It's actually a good point. Don't dismiss, yeah. that. Don't dismiss that one so fast. It's a good point. Yeah, lately I've been feeling like I've been hearing stories from people who have started kind of this, a similar journey of trying to do this, you know, and it makes it, it just has started to change my mind when I think, I don't want to say, I don't, you know, I, I saw something racist on the internet the other day and I would normally be like, Oh my gosh, what a jerk, you know? And, um, I, I thought of these women that I've been, you know, conversing with in a group that's sort of, and I, I thought of them and I thought I can do this, you know, I can say something and I need to. And I said something, you know, in a very respectful way towards him, but also acknowledging that this is wrong, you know? And so like drawing from this, these, the experiences of other people who have, I know they felt the same way I did at one point, you know, and they've, they've started saying, you know, uh, they started standing up and pushing against their fear. And it kind of makes me less afraid. Yeah. And isn't it, isn't it exciting if we can be 
part of something that is good. It's not just... Mm -hmm. and, and that doesn't mean we are part of something good and they're part of something bad. That's not what I mean. But, you know, to be honest, I this result did not freak me out at all. And the reason is that I felt, you know what, I think now a lot of people, and this was before we talked, you know, I felt a lot of people, if things are just, you know, kind of okay, most of us don't move. Yeah. And this forces everybody to question their values. And if we're serious about that, if we're serious about not just talking, but actually doing stuff, little stuff, it doesn't have to be big, we don't have to volunteer all our time in some shelter or something, but you talked about the little things that, that you're scared that racists could do. Well, the little things that you can do is to talk to those girls when you meet them. Be like, hey, how do you feel about growing up? What do you, what do you want to do? And if you detect that they have these ideas that they're limited and that maybe they saw this in TV and this lady who had who was really competent but she didn't get in. I think it's actually quite a wonderful feeling to be the person who's like, look, um, everything we want, most things take time. And some things take longer than we wish they would. But that doesn't, the past doesn't say anything about what will happen in the future. It can inform us, it can make some, you know, it can help us, but looking at this election, the past said that, you know, these states in your area would all be solidly, so as far as I know, only Illinois was, right? Yeah. <laughs> that was it, right? So so we see that. Yeah, I that think that's because of Chicago. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, so... But nevertheless, um, the other states had voted since, I think, 1992 or something, solidly Democratic, and now they don't. So if we have been solidly voting against women, if that's what people perceive, or if that's what the girls perceive that you meet, you could say, like, look, yes, in this case, we didn't get that, but this election also showed us that things can be the same for a very long time until they just are not. And we can actually do something about that by, by doing it in little and also more important ways, right? Mm -hmm. And if these things in the ways that we do that are line up with our strengths, that's when we really get some steam, right? You, if you think about the things you do well and you like to do and they're effortless for you, and then if you connect those to a bigger purpose of creating a world that you would be not just okay living in, but actually really ecstatic, how, how would people talk in that world? And then you start talking to people like that. Yeah, it's kind of exciting, you know, I guess. <laughs> but I, I I don't know. 
I hate to say that when so many people are so devastated, you know, and just upset, but it is kind of exciting to think, you know, because I, I always thought, I, I always learned about the, you know, learning about the civil rights movement and everything um, in college. And I remember like sitting there and thinking, there's so much left to do. And like, when are we going to get around to it? You know? Yes. like there's like I remember thinking that like there's a lot like this didn't solve everything like it's not done at by any means and like I started to like think about that when you know after Ferguson and the Black Lives Matter thing was happening and I was and it it didn't drum up I mean and it's still going on and it's because and I think this is hopefully where we start to like, you know, maybe, it, like, you're not going to fix it, but maybe we start to publicly and in our daily lives acknowledge it and get better, you know? So that's a hopeful thing, right? Especially for, yeah. I mean, especially, maybe it's a hopeful thing for for them, <laughs> right? But but it's definitely a hopeful thought what you just expressed for someone who embraces democratic values. So why on earth would you feel bad about talking to people about this? Why would I feel bad about talking to people? Yeah, you you said before that well, it's kind of weird because now you feel hopeful and all the people around you are so devastated, right? Yeah. Right. So, so do you think they would be devastated if they understood whatever it was that just ignited you? I don't know. Like, yeah, you don't. Good, good. In the spirit, <laughs> in the spirit of what we've been talking about, you don't know. But why not give it a try, right? <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't, I don't know if they, if anybody believes that anything can change. I think people are starting to think that, though. I think people are starting to realize they have to act. Yeah, how cool is that? And I probably, I, you know, I need to talk to people yeah. about it. See, if you, if you actually, if you get this lesson now, like for yourself... You don't have to question ever again why you wake up in the morning. Because your answer can always be, because I want to make life a better place for, and then insert whoever it is that you care about the most. You know, that's that's yeah. a big part of my inner peace, is not... Hey, I've studied positive psychology and now I'm happy and zippy every day. <laughs> Far from it. I, I have a pretty, like, uh, like if you just look at babies, like I was the observing thinking baby. <laughs> like I was not, you know, the one that's like naturally laughing at everything. However, I, I, I don't remember the last time I woke up and I thought my life has no purpose. And you can pick any of these issues. You can pick women, 
You can pick gays. You can pick whatever it is. And you want to be conscious about it. Or you can pick all of them and say, well, I'm not helping in an official capacity unless that's what you want. But I make damn sure that when I go out to people and I notice that I think they are dumb and I notice myself brushing things off, that to the best of my abilities, I try to do that less and less and less because I know that when I do that inside of that inner work, that I become the kind of person that lives those values that are important to me. And if you do that, there's always meaning in life, always. There will be, you know, struggling, there will be suffering apart from that, you know, that comes, that has nothing to do with all of this that we're talking about. But that's one thing you're never going to have to worry about. And that's actually yeah. one of the gifts that I feel this election has given us. Yeah, that's true. Is there anything that you would like to address as we slowly come to an end? I can't really think of anything more. I think this is really good. It, I felt really confused at the beginning and really nervous and like, um, I had an idea before that this is where I wanted to to start thinking, but I really, it was really productive talking it out with you. I'm glad. And yeah, thank, so thank you, you for agreeing to record this because it is my hope that some people might, you know, take away a few things as well as they listen through this. So thanks for agreeing to that. And thanks for being vulnerable because it's actually not that easy admitting, you know, that, that we are sometimes judgmental or that we are, we have been arrogant or unfair or whatever it is. And you, you have done that. And that takes actually a lot of courage. So you're not even looking for something. You are just going forward, tapping into something that you've actually demonstrated during our call. You have this courage. You have the courage to stick with the uncomfortable conversation. Because I hope not all of it has been uncomfortable, but we have been talking for over an hour. And not all oh, of it was yeah. comfortable, right? So you already have this. You got this. Yeah. Well, thanks, Kristen. Thanks very much, Rosie. I hope this made you think, and I hope this made you realize that as cliched as it sounds, the only person in the whole world that we have a whole range of power and control over is ourselves. So if we actually work on outgrowing and dealing and accepting some of our own darkness and some of our own contradictions, we can transform what society is like. And it sounds very idealistic, but that's actually true. I believe it to be true with all my heart, which is why I take my own self-development very seriously. And if you've listened up until now, so do you. So congratulations to you. Thanks for sticking with us for a long and deep and sometimes painful conversation. I, 
I hope that you found value in this and I hope that it gave you some guidance as to how you could, you know, uncover and treat some of your own feelings that you might not be proud about, but that you still have the courage to face them as bravely as Rosie did. And to all the lovely people who have left reviews, rest assured I haven't forgot about you, but this episode is just so epically long that I will save them for the next few episodes. I already have a couple in the can. So talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt.